Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We just want to let you know that God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. It's no mistake that you're tuning in right now, so keep listening. May God speak to you through this message. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you and good morning as well to those who are joining us online. Thank you so much, creative team, the guys in the front and at the back. Can we just give them a big hand? Thank you so much for serving us so faithfully week in and week out. We love you. We honor you. And uh, let's get ready for the Word of God. Amen? Are we ready for the Word of God? (laughs) We are. Hallelujah. Well, we're continuing on in our series. Like Dr. Nick said, we're going to look at two parables today, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. And I've entitled this uh, today's message, Tiny But Mighty. So if you like taking notes, you can write down the notes, Tiny But Mighty. And I don't know what comes to mind when you think of something that is tiny but mighty. Uh, Maybe for some of you, you will think of a microchip that powers our phones, powers our uh, computers, powers even our cars these days. Some of you, you might think of like a chili padi, tiny but mighty, very, very, very spicy. Uh, Some of you, uh, interestingly enough, just at the end of the first service, I was having a chat with um, Pastor Josh, and Pastor Josh, as you know, he's a new dad, and I was asking him about how baby is and everything, and uh, he said that she, she's, she's about seven weeks, and, but she's growing faster than he is growing his muscles to carry her. So that's tiny, but very mighty, okay? Uh, Today, as I was thinking about things that are tiny, but mighty, uh, I thought I would show you a picture of the duckweed. Now, the duckweed are the smallest flowering plants known, uh, and individually, each leaf is a plant, just about 0.5 or 0.6 centimeters in size. They float on ponds and lakes. They grow very, very quickly, um, and they produce new offshoots very rapidly. And so if you look at this picture, this is an entire pond of duckweed that started with just one tiny leaf. Wow, amazing, huh? Amazing. God's creation is just simply, simply amazing. How about if we were to think of iconic buildings uh, in, in, our, in the cities of the world today, whether uh, we're talking about the Eiffel Tower in Paris or the Empire State Building in New York or the Taj Mahal in India or Malaysia's very own Twin Towers. The truth is all of them began as invisible thoughts. What about the gospel? The gospel message, which has gone practically into every corner, every square inch of our planet, it originated in the pocket-sized nation of Israel. Now, what is the common denominator with all these examples? I'll tell you what it is. Small beginnings. Now, today, we live in a world where very often, small beginnings are not really celebrated because we love instant things. We love our instant coffees. We love our instant noodles. Oh, Elder Sylvester said, yeah, yeah, very loudly. (laughs) Some of us, we want the instant abs and biceps as well. And, uh, you know, we want drive-through everything. We want the overnight success. We want big, bright, bold, and beautiful without the -the behind-the-scenes blood, sweat, and tears. But anyone who has accomplished anything worth mentioning will tell you this, that small 
is essential. That small is significant. That small is necessary. Tiny but mighty. Very often we can look at the smallness of things and everything else appears to be so overwhelming that we can get discouraged, we can get demoralized, we can get depressed. You know, Jesus, he used parables to speak to his disciples in a time and age where they were struggling with the current situation that they were in, the social conditions that they were in. And he he would use these parables to speak to them about faith and about the nature of the kingdom of God that he had come to proclaim. Today, you and I, we have the luxury of hindsight. But the disciples, they didn't. They struggled to understand the nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus was proclaiming to them. And we know from last week's sermon that even as Jesus proclaimed these, the nature of the kingdom of God to them, that they had expectations of their own in their mind. They had expected a messianic overthrow of the Roman oppressors and, and for, for the return of David's throne. But they had very little understanding, very little real understanding about the true nature of the kingdom of God that they were being trained for. Last week, I hope that you will remember more than just the burger and the Mona Lisa, uh, because what we learned about the kingdom of God next week is three things. It is, it is not what you expect it to be. It's not when you expect it. It's not who you expect it to be. And today, as we continue to deepen our understanding on the kingdom of God, we're going to come to these two parables that Jesus uses as a comparison to help his disciples understand and therefore help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. We go to Matthew 13, verses 31 to 33, where we're going to look at two very brief parables about the mustard seed and yeast. And this is the scripture, and I'd love for us to read it all together loud and strong. Ready? One, two, go. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. I want to share with you today three thoughts or three big ideas about the kingdom of God from these two parables. The first thought is this. The kingdom of God, it starts small, but it grows mightily. Now, this parable about the mustard seed is really about the growth of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying that, yes, though the kingdom of God may start small, but it will grow. It is the very nature of seed to grow and bear fruit. You know, a few weeks ago, Pastor Philip, he preached about kingdom life. And at the end of the service, those of you who were here, you came up to the front to collect your little packets of mustard seeds. And I know several of you have gone home to plant them and you have seen the grow. And here are some real life photos of your mustard seeds in progress. Right? 
You can actually see the shoots coming up. And I, I, in fact, you know, the demanding person that I am, I asked for an update as of yesterday. And so yesterday, this is what it looks like. Um, so it's growing. And I hope the rest of us, we, are, we have planted those seeds and we are watering them. Pastor Haga, why do you laugh? Um, <laughs> we are planting them. We have planted them. We are watering them. And we are watching them grow so that we can be reminded about the kingdom of God at work. Amen. So let's unpack verse. 32 together. It says, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants, becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Three things that we can observe about how the kingdom of God grows. Firstly, the kingdom of God grows in its size. That's the illustration here. From a mustard seed, it grew from the smallest of seeds to the largest of garden plants. So we can observe the kingdom of God grows in size. But a second way that the kingdom of God grows is in power or in strength, you see? Because we, it didn't just grow from a seed to a garden plant and remain a garden plant, but it became a tree. So from a plant, it became a tree which is bigger, which is more substantial, which is stronger. And here's the third thing that we can observe about how the kingdom of God grows. It grows in its purpose. We see this, that the seed grew into a plant, grew into a tree that was so big that it was able to become a place for birds to come and perch in its branches, sort of like a sheltering place. And the point really of this parable is that something as big and as blessed as the kingdom of God really had humble beginnings. Think about it. How significant could the ministry of Jesus Christ be? He had a handful of ragged fishermen for his followers. He was of no particularly outstanding rank. And he lived in what everybody considered to be the backwater region of the world. The life and the death of Christ did not catch the attention of the world any more than a mustard seed would lying on the ground by the road. But because this was a work of God, somebody say amen. What seemed inconsequential at first grew into a great movement of worldwide unstoppable influence. You see, the influence of God's kingdom in this world, in our world today, would be so great that it says everyone associated with it would find a benefit just like the birds perched on the branches of the mature mustard tree. There are places in scripture where the kingdom of God is also pictured as a tree. A passage in Ezekiel, for example, I'm just going to read it to you. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. This is a messianic prophecy foretelling the growth of Christ's kingdom from very small beginnings to a sizable sheltering place. Worlddata.org will estimate the size of the Christian world today at over 2.2 billion believers. So church history has shown us that Jesus' parable of the mustard seed has come to be true. Some may wonder, why did Jesus choose to call the mustard seed the smallest seed 
and the mustard plant, the largest of plants, when in fact there are smaller seeds and larger plants? This is the answer. Jesus is not speaking botanically. He is speaking proverbially. And he is emphasizing the growth of the church, the nature of the, of the growth of the church. You see, throughout the centuries, the church has experienced an explosive rate of growth. It's found worldwide. You know, I remember maybe about 15, no more than that, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, um, I used to be, you know, I used to travel at that time with my parents. And, you know, we would go to maybe different cities and, yeah, we could find churches, but sometimes it would they were not that easy to find. Today, I think you can travel to any city and you can so easily find a church to go to. If you're on holidays, you happen to be there on a weekend, you can just look up Google and you will be able to find a church that you can at a city that you are traveling to. I mean, I'm just thinking about Pastor Philip and his trip to um, Kathmandu and where they found a church to attend. So that's, that's just how a picture of how the church, the kingdom of God has grown. And you see, despite prosecution, despite repeated attempts to snuff the church out, the church has continued to grow. The church has continued to flourish. The church has continued to thrive. And this is just a small picture of the ultimate manifestation of the kingdom of God until Jesus comes and rules and reigns. Somebody say amen. amen. But here's another way to think about the kingdom of God and how it grows. Luke 17 31 tells us, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God does not just grow in the way that we see it growing worldwide, but the kingdom of God is meant to grow within us as well. And you know, this kingdom of God within us is the same. It starts as a mustard seed that we know is meant to grow. I'm going to illustrate this by using faith as an example, okay? Because faith is one of the marks of the kingdom of God. And so just like that mustard seed that is meant to grow, our faith is meant to grow, you know, we are meant to have big faith, like that seed that grew into a mustard plant. We are meant to have big faith. What is big faith? Big faith is the ability to believe and to dream big, to believe that what God has for you is so much more than what you could ever dream of or even imagine. It is to believe that there is more for you in this life because of who God is, and that is big faith. But just like the mustard plant that grew into a tree, our faith is also meant to be strong faith. We are meant to grow in our resilience in our faith. And strong faith is very different to big faith. Big faith is the ability to dream big and to see big and to have big vision. But strong faith is the ability to be resilient and to carry out that big faith. I have seen people in my life who have big faith but do not necessarily have strong faith. I have seen people who have big dreams, big hopes, big visions, but their faith is not resilient enough to carry them through. Friends, our faith is meant to grow. It's meant to be a big faith, like the mustard seed that grows. It is meant to be a strong faith. Amen? The other way that our faith is meant to grow is in its purpose. A faith that can grow to be so big and so strong that it can provide a sheltering place for others. I think about this uh, from last week's message Pastor John was sharing. And he says, it's true. In the early stages of our walk with God, many times we come to God and it's all about, you know, it's mostly about, you know, my needs, my problems, my issues. God help me, this and that. But actually, our faith is meant to grow beyond that. Our faith is meant to be 
big and strong so that it can provide, just like that mustard seed that grew into a tree, it can provide a sheltering place for other people. And the best kind of it, uh, example that I can think of purposeful faith is that story in Mark chapter 2 of the paralytic with the four friends. His four friends with faith big enough to tear open the roof of a house to get their friend to Jesus. And so you see, Jesus uses the mustard seed to illustrate to us how the kingdom of God is going to grow throughout the world and also in our lives. Amen? And so I think of a few questions when I consider this passage. And so I want to share these with you today. What are you believing for? In this time, in this season of your life, what are some dreams that God has laid upon your heart? What are you believing for? Here's another question that I ask, and I ask this for myself. What are you struggling with? Maybe there are issues of sin that just you cannot seem to shake it off. It's just there. It is, it, you just cannot get rid of it. You're struggling with it. You cannot break it. God is calling us to resilient faith. Amen? And the third question that I ask and I ask myself is, where is your faith leading you? Is your faith only leading yourself to think about yourself, or is your faith leading you to, as Jesus says, live a life that loves God and loves your neighbor? Here's the thing. We probably can answer all those questions if we are very, very honest. There are things that we fall short in. There are things that we struggle with. We know we've got sin in our lives. We've got issues in our lives. We have addictions in our life that are not breaking. We know our faith up to this point, has been self-serving. But can I encourage us all today? Small as a mustard seed, grows into a plant, and grows into a tree. Amen? And I love this scripture in, in Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices. Somebody say rejoices. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. You see, small beginnings does not mean small endings. And tiny can. Amen? Amen. Here's the second thing, second big thought that I want to share with you from these two parables. We're coming now to the parable of the yeast. It is this, the kingdom of God works invisibly, but transforms thoroughly. The kingdom of God works invisibly, but transforms thoroughly. I want to ask us here today, uh, how many people in this place love bread? Raise up your hands. Wow, there are, I think, more bread lovers in this service than there were in the first service. Uh, but I will tell you that I love bread. I find bread to be such an interesting, interesting thing, okay? Inter not just as a food, but it's just interesting. It's so cool. And uh, if you're a baker, I think you will understand what I mean when you mix the ingredients together and you, you see how things react. You see how the dough rises. You know, when I was growing up here in KK, uh, it was gardenia bread. There was not much other breads around, honestly, at that time. But I remember gardenia bread in the red and blue packaging. Uh, you can still find it today, but obviously today there's so many many other choices and options for you. Um, and I remember as I grew older and I was able to travel a little bit more, uh, and I remember the first time I traveled as an adult, you know, not with my parents, I was backpacking in Europe with, a, with friends and we were in, 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 in Paris. And I tell you, I don't know what it is about these European cities, but everywhere you walk, you just smell bread. 
whether you're in, in France or Italy, it's just bread is everywhere, you know? And uh, I don't know why, but it was, it was you know, even the, the croissant at the train station was so delicious. Uh, you know, it's almost as if you can smell the amount of butter that is inside the bread because <laughs> that's how you know I love bread <laughs> because that's what I can smell. <laughs> okay. And so we're going to look at this parable of the yeast. Matthew 13, 33, let's unpack it. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. This parable really is about the influence of the kingdom of God. And here are some observations about this comparison uh, of the kingdom of God to yeast. The first thing is this. The first thing is that like yeast... The kingdom of God may look small, but it has tremendous power to transform. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you are legitimately bakers. I know some of you are, but most of you will know that it only takes a tiny bit of yeast to transform a much larger quantity of flour. And what happens? You mix it in together with all the other ingredients. You give it enough time and under the right conditions, you will see the effect of the yeast working through the dough. The dough begins to puff up and it gets fluffy and it creates that beautiful, beautiful texture that by the time you bake it and you can smell it baking in the oven and then it comes out looking all so fresh and fluffy. My goodness, there is nothing better than the smell of fresh bread baking in your kitchen. I look forward to that in heaven. Bread smells everywhere. Pastor Philip always says he believes the tree is a durian tree. We will need a lot of bread to counter the smell of the durians, you know. So I'm believing for, the, for bread in heaven. Uh, but here's the, real, the real, reality of it is that a grain of yeast is so much smaller than a mustard seed. And yet inside of it is this tremendous power to bring about transformation and growth. In the same way, Jesus' kingdom, his domain, started with 12 men in some obscure part of Galilee, but it has spread throughout the world. Here's the next thing about yeast that we can observe. It is that yeast makes the dough rise from within. And similarly, this is how the kingdom of God exerts its influence. It works from inside. And it's like that, right? We come to know God. We come to know Jesus. And he touches our heart. He begins that work inside of us. And you know, that internal work, that internal change should have, okay, should have external manifestations. It's the same way if we think about how the gospel can change culture. It's us out there in the marketplace being salt and light to the world, whatever worldly culture we find ourselves in, where we act as agents of change, slowly transforming culture from within. So that's what we observe. Yeast makes the dough rise from within. The kingdom of God is the same. It exerts its influence from within. Within who? Within believers first. And here's the third thing that we can observe about yeast and the kingdom of God. It is that the effect of yeast, you know, you look at a piece of bread and you will know that there has been yeast. The work of yeast has taken place. It's the same with the kingdom of God. The effect of the kingdom of God will be thorough and visible. And though it works invisibly, it works slowly, 
It works silently. Yeast has a very, very obvious. It's the same. The kingdom of God at work in our hearts should have an obvious effect. That's just how grace works in our hearts, you know. The more we encounter the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the more we are thoroughly transformed into His likeness. And when Jesus has transformed our lives, our hearts, then the impact cannot be denied. We don't need a big fancy story to tell, but I remember this again from an earlier sermon that Pastor John preached about how his own mother came to know Jesus. Why? Because of the change that she saw in Pastor John's life. So the effect of the kingdom of God will be thorough and it will be visible. I want to ask you a question today. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose to use yeast as a metaphor for the kingdom of God? Uh, Because if you look at the Bible, for the most part, yeast tends to have a negative connotation. If you look at Mosaic law, very often, yeast is Yeast or leaven is likened to sin or corruption. But it's not just in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. If you look at passages like Matthew 16, 6 to 12, Luke 12, 1, we see yeast being likened to the false teaching or the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians. I think Jesus chose to use yeast in this metaphor because it was a relatable example for people to understand. It was easy for people to understand. It was an effective metaphor. But the truth is this, right? Whether the yeast refers to the kingdom of God or whether it refers to sin, its power remains the same. It only takes a little bit to transform the entire batch. In our lives, we all have yeast. The question is, what yeast is transforming your life? I think sometimes sin can be very small and microscopic, just like yeast. We don't even actually realize that we have been entertaining it in our lives. And before long, it has transformed us, not for the kingdom of God, but for Satan. So the truth is, whether it's the kingdom of God or sin, the power of yeast is the same. The question is, what yeast is in our lives? When we talk about yeast, you know, and and bread. I just can't help but think of when Jesus proclaims in John chapter 6 that he is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And he goes on later in John 10.10 to say that, you know, that I have come, Jesus has come, that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. This is the thing about yeast, right? Yeast is responsible for a lot of the flavors and aromas we associate with bread. Yeast makes the bread fuller. Yeast makes the bread richer. It makes it just more enjoyable. It just makes it much more of an experience. And John 10.10, Jesus promises that he has come to give us life and life more abundantly. He is that bread of life. And that is his promise to us. The life that he promises us in the kingdom of God. Amen? Here's the third thing that I want to share with you today. The kingdom of God is an unstoppable life-giving force. The kingdom of God is an unstoppable life-giving force. Let's think again about our mustard seed and our yeast. What are some things that they have in common? Here are some. They're both tiny. 
they both take time. Seed, you'll see it externally grow. Yeast, it will transform from the inside. But their end result is the same. Their end result is abundant. The tree that grows, the bread that rises. Their end result is good. Their end result is life-giving. Now, the word life comes up very, very often in the New Testament. And have you ever wondered what that word really, really means? I want to bring us back to John 10, 10 again. We're going to look at this and ask ourselves this question. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, was Jesus saying that he would help us to have a better life or that he would come to enrich or improve our life? Something for you to think about. You see, the New Testament, it was originally written in Greek. And Greek is a language that is far more rich, you know, so much richer than English in its diversity, in its complexity of its vocabulary. And so in the New Testament, there are three Greek words for life. Vios, suke, and zoe. Now, they all have different meanings in the Greek. But in English, we translate all of them as life. Let's look at Luke 8, 14, for example. It says this, Now the ones that fell, is seeds, okay? Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out with cares, riches, and the pleasures of life. Life here is the word vios, and bring no fruit to maturity. Vios here refers to the life of the physical body. So when it says, choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of, it's the physical life that it's talking about. Okay? Vios is the word from where we get the word biology. Now, Another example of the word life, we can look at Matthew 16, 25. It says, for whoever decides to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Life here is the word suke. Suke refers to the psychological life of the human soul, the mind, the emotion, and the will. It's from where we get the word psychology. So we look at Vios, we have looked at Suke, now we're going to look at a couple of examples of Zoe. And I will take you to John 1 verse 4. It says this, In him was life, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. And we go back again to John 10.10. 10. I have come that they may have life, Zoe, okay, here, and that they may have it more abundantly. So in these two scriptures in John, the Greek word translated as life is Zoe. What is Zoe? Zoe refers to the uh, uncreated, the eternal life of God. It refers to the divine life uniquely possessed by God, manifest over time in Jesus. So Zoe is not human physical life or the soulish life, but Zoe is the divine spiritual life that is found in Jesus. Jesus is eternal life and Jesus came so that we could have this eternal divine life. So Jesus didn't just come so we could have a better life or an improved life, but Jesus came so that we could have him because he is the divine life. You see, no one has a Zoe life at birth. At birth, we have Vios life, we have Suhe life. But it is only when we receive Jesus as our Lord and our Savior that we then possess this divine Zoe life. So, in Jesus, 
When God's divine life is in you, the kingdom of God is in you. Amen? And just like the seed in earth, just like the yeast in the dough, the kingdom of God grows. You see, God wants us to experience His life. God wants us to enjoy His life. God wants us to live by His life and to let that life grow in us. This force of life is powerful and cannot be stopped. You cannot stop God's Zoe life any more than you can stop the seed from growing or the yeast from reacting. You see, the world we live in today will tell us that we, on our own terms, by ourselves, of our own effort, we can live good lives, maybe even great lives. In fact, the world will go so far as to tell us that not only can we live good lives, but we are entitled to live good or great lives. But the transformed life can only come from God. The transformed life can only come from God's kind of life. And so just like the earth, the seed in the earth, the yeast in the dough, you know, God's power, it works in inevitably. It works miraculously. It works very often silently, but it works powerfully until the power of transformation is seen. You know, and just like the yeast working through the dough, when our lives are fully involved with Jesus, it is the riches of His divine life, His eternal life that will be expressed through us and will be made manifest to all the people around us. Just like the mustard seed and like the yeast, they are conditions, you know, which promote it's growth. So the seed, it needs to be planted. It needs to be subjected to the right conditions of light, air, water, food, space, optimal temperature in order to grow. If a few weeks ago you came here, you took a pack of seeds and you left them in the bag, well, they're not going to grow. They need to be planted. They need to be watered. They need to be cared for. And then you will see them grow. When for yeast to transform dough, it needs moisture. It needs sugar. It needs a warm temperature. Now, you see, you and I, when we believe in Jesus, we have received that kingdom of God. That seed is already in us. But that seed is not going to grow into a plant, much less a tree, unless we are placed in certain conditions that will cause it to grow. The yeast is not going to work in the dough of our lives unless our hearts have the necessary to activate the yeast. And so, if we are, planting ourselves in God's house, if we are together worshipping, if we are fellowshipping, growing in relationship with one another, if we are feeding regularly on the Word of God and we are living by the Spirit, then growth must come. It is not it might come, it must come. But the key is the seed has to be planted. The yeast has to be in the right conditions for it to react with the dough. And when that growth comes, it will be inevitable. It will be unstoppable. And it may start small, but it does not stay small. So the kingdom of God, like the mustard seed and like the yeast, 
They may be so tiny. They may start so small. But we've seen it. Church history has shown it. The Word of God says it. It may start small. It doesn't stay small. It is tiny, but it is mighty. Amen. I want to close us off with a story about a missionary named Amy Carmichael. And she was an Irish Christian missionary uh, in India. She spent most of her life uh, serving in India where she opened up an orphanage and she founded a mission in Donavur, in Tamil Nadu, which is the southernmost state of India. And she was a most unlikely heroine. You know, she suffered from neuralgia, uh, which is a disease of the nerves that made her body weak, made her achy, put her in, in bed for several weeks at a time. And, you know, from a young age, she had a sense that God had called her out onto the mission field. She had heard Hudson Taylor, uh, and, and she had wanted to join the China Inland Mission. But at that time, her health didn't permit her to. Uh, eventually, she would go to Japan. She would spend 15 months there. But again, her health health issues and she came back to England. Her friends, you know, her friends, when she said that she was going to be a missionary, her friends said it was a crazy idea because you're just not healthy enough for it. And yet she was so sure that God had called her overseas. Amy Carmichael's most notable work was, was with girls and uh, young women some of whom she rescued and saved from traditional customs that amounted to forced prostitution. And so the Donavur Fellowship in 1901, it ended up becoming a sanctuary for over 1,000 children. And Amy Carmichael often said that her ministry of rescuing temple children started with one girl whose name was Prina. And Prina had become a temple servant against her wishes, but she had managed to escape. Amy Carmichael provided her with shelter and withstood the threats of the people who were trying to get her to come back to the temple where she would be forced to resume sexual assignments. She, Amy Carmichael even resisted the attempts to return Prina to her family because that was an indirect way of returning her to the temple. And the number of such incidents grew. And this began Amy Carmichael's new ministry, which would go on until her death at the age of 83. She died in India, and the Donavur Fellowship continues until today, faithfully carrying out its work as a beacon of refuge for at-risk children. I think Amy Carmichael's life summarizes, gives us a picture of the kingdom of God being likened to a mustard seed and the yeast. It started with just one child that she rescued, that she gave shelter. But eventually, over time, that ministry grew. And it grew mightily. It grew strong. It is still around today. The kingdom of God, it worked invisibly in Amy Carmichael's life. Amy Carmichael did not wait until she was fully healed or physically well enough to go into the mission field. But God had transformed her life so much, she was so convicted that she just said, yes, I will go. In fact, there's a story told about a young woman back in England who was praying and thinking about being a missionary. And so she wrote to Amy Carmichael, what is missionary life like? 
And Amy Carmichael replied and said, missionary life is just a chance to die. And we're like, what do we make of that? I think in a way it means it's a way to die to yourself. And dying to yourself is a mark of a purposeful faith. It's a faith that has gone beyond just meeting my personal needs, but it has gone and grown into this tree that is big enough to provide shelter, a resting place, a safe place for birds of all kind to come and perch on its branches. I think a story shows us that mustard seed and yeast are life-giving forces that when planted and activated in the right conditions cannot be stopped. And that is the power of the kingdom of God, not just we as seen physically throughout the church, but it is the power of God that lives inside and in the hearts of each and every one of us today. And so, as we close today, there are at least two opportunities for us to respond to the Word of God. And the first is this. The first is, if you are here today, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've been coming, but you know in your heart you have not received Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. You know, as I've been preaching today, that that divine life is not in you. Today is an opportunity for you to respond to Jesus. You see, without Jesus, all that we have is our vios, our physical life, our suke life, our psychological, emotional, soul, will, life. But in Jesus, we are promised eternal life. And eternal life is not just life that goes on after death. It's not just life that goes on forever and ever. But eternal life has this quality to it. It is a life that is perfect and complete. It is a life without shortage, without defect. It is that Zoe life that we have, that we receive when we open our hearts and we ask Jesus to come in and that mustard seed that kingdom of God mustard seed is deposited into your heart today. And so if that is you today, you know you do not have divine life in you. You know that you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then I want you to pray this with me and the whole church will pray. And if you're watching online and that is you, you pray this as well. Come on church, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for, my, for me and you rose again you died and paid the price for my sins so that I can have eternal life divine life transformed life that can only come from you today I acknowledge you Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior as my master and as my best friend Thank you for giving me new life. Thank you for giving me new hope. And thank you for giving me new future. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, Amen. 
all heads bowed, all eyes closed. If that was you, can you just slip up your hand so I can see it? We just want to acknowledge it so that we are able to connect with you later and to provide you with some resource to help you grow. If that's a hand, yes, my brother, I see that hand today. God bless you. God sees you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else today? As we close this meeting, as we close our service today, I see that hand, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else here today? I don't want to miss out. I don't want to pass you by today as we come. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. I see your hand. You can put it down. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just give praise to God. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you. We thank you, God, that today you are working in our brother's life. Today you have touched his heart. Today you have spoken to him and he comes and calls you his Lord and his Savior. Lord, we pray for this mustard seed of faith to grow in his heart, that the yeast of the kingdom of God that is deposited into his heart will grow and transform his life, that truly he will experience that divine life that comes from you, Jesus. We pray you, we bless you, our brother, in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. Give God praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, the second way that we can respond today is for all of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all of us for whom the kingdom of God is within us. We already have that mustard seed. We already have that yeast of the kingdom of God in our hearts. But the question is, do we carry the marks of the kingdom of God? Are we growing in our faith? Are we growing in kingdom power and authority? Is that yeast working? Are we growing in Christ-likeness? Are the soils of our heart soft enough for the mustard seed to grow? Are our hearts warm enough for the yeast to expand the kingdom of God within us? Today, no matter how far away you are, how close you are to God, He calls all of us home. He calls us back to rededicate our lives to Him afresh. Why? So that He can grow His kingdom within us. And so today we are going to do an act of faith, an act of commitment. And the ashes, they'll be coming up here. And you'll see that they have baskets of bread. And in a short while, I'm going to invite all of us to come up and to take a bun. One bun. One. Just one. They, we are not doing the multiplication of loaves, so don't, don't take five. Take one. Okay. Take one, and then when you've taken it, you head back to your seat. But this is what's happening, you know. As you come out of your seat, as you move and make your way forward, as you take this bread, you are making a commitment to get out of your comfort zone. You are saying, God, I'm softening the soil of my heart, the soil of my spirit. I'm warming my heart so that the yeast of the kingdom of God can grow. And so once you take a bun, you head back to your seat, you open it, you tear off a piece, and you eat it. And as you eat it, you remember 
the yeast that has worked through this dough. And as you do that, you ask the Holy Spirit. You come before God and ask the Holy Spirit to do what is necessary for the soil of our hearts to be softened, for the, for the atmosphere of our hearts to be warm enough for the yeast to expand the kingdom of God in us. Hey, thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. If you need prayer or you'd like to get to know our community better, visit us at skylightsib.com and let's connect on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at Skylight SIB. Have a great week ahead.